We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One nil to the Arsenal, one nil to the Arsenal, one nil to the Arsenal is what the opposition is singing. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, it's not a good sign when the opposing fans are the ones singing one nil to the Arsenal. But that's what happens these days because if you are playing Arsenal Football Club, you are begging for one nil to the Arsenal because that is the surest sign there is that you are headed for a victory. I kid, but I don't kid. It's the truth. Look, these are the podcasts that I find most difficult to do because it is easy to just fall back into the same old arguments, fall back into the same confirmation bias, have the same debates, beat the same dead horses. So let's do that. That's going to be fun, isn't it? No, I'm kidding. I don't know. Um, We're going to get through it together, though. We're going to blame the people that deserve blame. We're going to argue about whether they're the right people. And we're going to come away friends. Most importantly, we love you. Thank you for being here. You help us get through it, and we will indeed get through this together. I will warn you, I have not listened to an ArsCast, so I don't have anything of value to add, but I have three people here with me who can add value. And one thing I will point out, did a live stream yesterday. We are now, I think, 0-5 following live streams, so uh, all future pre-match content should probably be canceled. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! Clive is on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim is on Twitter. It's Hello, Tim. Hello there. I just want to be clear. There are tens of thousands of Arsenal fans who expect you to have the answers. Um, so, you know, no pressure because God knows we don't have them on the pitch right now. Ugh, it's brutal. I will tell you what, since Paul did not get a chance to be on the post-match pod, um, instant reaction one. The instant reaction was just sad people being sad. This is going to be sad people being happy, trying to be happy in the face of, of darkness. But... Paul, there's only one place to start, and it feels like it's been a while, well, since United. (laughs) Uh, It feels like this season we haven't had to do the whole, let's start with the selection, yammer, 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 yammer. Um, But Arteta brought the classic back at Old Trafford, threw an El Nanny at us, because he cares about the hashtag content. He's thinking about the podcasters, and we do love him for that. Uh, but he went he went one further. He decided to mix it up big time. Aubameyang sat down for Lacazette. 
Tavares sat down for Tierney. Lakanga slash Elneny, and some people would like to slash Elneny, uh, sat down for uh, Shaka, who comes right back because as long as he has working limbs, he has to play 90 minutes of every game. It's in his contract. So these are big changes, certainly going to impact the left side of buildup and, and maybe introduce a bit of rust. But there are some people that would say that, you know, following big losses, big changes need to be made. Paul, is this ringing the changes to show you're responding to a bad result? Is this just the right time to bring these players in? You tell me how you felt in the moment about these changes and maybe how you feel about them with uh, the benefit of hindsight. Um, I thought the lineup, the changes were all good, reasonable, understandable. Apart from one thing, he had put three players on the pitch that he's probably needed to take off at about 60 minutes, Tierney, Lacazette and Chaka, and he ended up having to leave Chaka on there because you get one little injury and uh, whatever your best laid plan. Plus, it doesn't give you much tactical flexibility if you know the three subs you're going to have to make. Um, maybe he didn't think that that he was going to have to pull Tierney or he was going to have to pull Chaka. He did have to. Uh, he did know he was going to have to pull Lacazette. Um, but in terms of the lineup, it made sense to me we we he wanted to sit Aubameyang I'm gonna I'm gonna play the um they had a chat he said to Aubameyang you need a little breather you need to kind of take step out for one get refreshed charge your batteries um maybe we'll get you on for 20 minutes at the end and hopefully you can get a goal but uh, I want you to kind of uh, take a step back let the other guys do the lift in and and we'll bring you back for the next game kind of thing. Um, maybe there's something deeper going on than that. But look, we've played Lacazette up front many times. He drops in, he gets back into the box for the crosses. There weren't many crosses. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I've seen a lot of analysis on Lacazette. Um, you know, dropping into midfield, that must be why we had no shots. No, we had no shots because there was nothing to get on the end of. Uh, Martinelli was there to run in behind, so we could run in behind there. Saka's pretty good at running in behind or dropping in and helping build the play. We'd Odegaard there. I mean, it was all set up for us to have a pretty good game and to... Um, we were back to our toothpaste problem, um, but it didn't look like that. When oh, how I've the missed the toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't get the ball up the pitch into the final third, start creating chances. Tierney on the left wing... You know, I, I think there's a lot of circumstantial stuff. There's a knife by the body. There's a rope. There's a revolver. But in fact, he was beaten to death with a, a baseball bat. Now, I think there's a lot of things you could say, oh, no, we've flashed back to last year. But I don't think, I don't know what it is. Uh, like, I haven't come to grips with what the issue he here is. I think there's a few things going on. I'm I'm looking to maintain my chill. But with I thought Chuck and Party, for example, uh, we brought Chuck up in uh Chaka's pass completion rate was bad 78 percent, i think yeah. yeah but look at the first 45 minutes the first 50 minutes he's at 90 percent. so that tells you something right he just tanked i thought him and, Ch and party actually looked pretty good when i saw them side by side i thought they were kind of working pretty well together now it was hit and miss i'm not saying it was great i'm just saying it looked right and the structure looked right, and I felt good seeing the two guys there. Mm. Um, didn't look good when we were in transition, and, and Ch especially in the second half, Chaka scrambling backwards. But I could see, like, if, if I hadn't seen this game, 
And I'd seen certain sections of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see how this is going to work. Tierney, Tomiyasu, both getting forward, supporting the play. Uh, Chak and Party Odegaard, I thought, was mostly pretty good, dropping in, busy. Uh, high pass completion rate. Saka, real clean on the ball. Martinelli, not so much. Uh, yeah. Lacazette had that tougher job, so he was a bit more hit and miss. But for 50, 60 minutes, Chak and Party's pass completion was fairly decent if not particularly useful <laughs> yeah well i thought like chaka did chaka things i thought he was i think he was f- fine except when he wasn't when he really gassed and when he when he was scrambling back against transition is never a great look for chaka um but yeah it just didn't add up to a whole hill of beans and it's no no it it's, certainly didn't <laughs> it didn't and like <sighs> The lack of quality in the first half, and like they got stuck into us and they used, uh, you know, the one thing they had was they decided to be very physical, aggressive, dirty, uh, get stuck into us. And we decided to try and play football, only we didn't play football. And we yeah. weren't, we didn't have the quality, we didn't build. Um, you know, uh, uh, I did listen to the Rs cast and, and Andrew was very frustrated uh, for example, that we don't press up high like Liverpool do to make something happen in the final third, and like Lacazette I guess was getting a, a hammering from the manager early in the game for that, by the way. Yeah, but I think we. I don't think that's like, like there's different ways of playing football. I, I, I've kind of accepted that's not really what we do. It's more of a positional press. We kind of chase them down, make them take a bad long long pass or something like that it's more of a patient press and that's just how we play um but it reminds you there are different ways of playing than the way we play uh, i guess i've just I, i'm just accepting that this is how we play and we need to do it better and we're not very good at the moment two two lose two losses in a yeah. row it stings it hurts mm. i love you guys i love you elliot i love you tim <laughs> i love you clive this is a very tough time and it hurts. I don't really know what the bigger problem is, but we're struggling right now. Yeah, and and that's all well said. I, you know, look, you should always read the by the numbers column that Scott does. Yeah, but did, this yeah. one is a good read because there's things in it that are really eye opening. You know what caught my eye, Clive? I don't know. <laughs> you want to take a guess how many shots Alexander Lacazette has taken this season? Uh, I don't know, but I. I don't think it's more than 10. <laughs> he has taken five shots this season. Now, he scored one very important goal, the equalizer against Palace. That's his only goal. He's taken five shots. So he's had a role that I think we praised a lot previously, but in this game, no shots, no key passes, no box entry passes, four progressive passes received, one touch in the box. And you look at the numbers from this game, and for the first 79 minutes, Arsenal seemingly made no effort to win it. And I'll just give you some of these numbers that are crazy. We finished with 10 shots. We had four in the first 80 minutes. We played 20 progressive passes in the first 80 minutes. We made five passes into the box in the first 80 minutes. I mean, 24% of our possessions included a pass into the box. So we just were a blunt instrument. And one of the things that I really want to ask you about, Clive, specifically related to the inclusion of Shaka and Tierney, is that I thought we saw a pattern of play come back that 
hadn't really been a feature when it was Tavares and Lakanga. I thought we had a little better balance when it was Tavares and Lakanga, and I thought we tended to hit those middle zones a little better. And I wonder if it's a, a Smith-Rowe issue. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in the 4-2-2-2 thing we were doing, we'd get a little bit of a box with Lakanga and Party, and then Smith-Rowe and Lacazette, you know, or whoever it was. And then you'd kind of have... Saka maybe more in that wider space, and Aubameyang might drift into the channel or whatever, but you get a bit of a box. But with Martinelli and Lacazette, you lost that box a bit, and everything started to revert back to those funnels to the wings. So a funnel to Saka isolated in the wing, or the Shaka to, to Kieran Tierney superhighway. And I thought that that really made us very one-dimensional and easier to shut down. Now, the goal comes from that superhighway in very traditional Arteta ball style that we've seen when Tierney and Shaka play. But otherwise, I thought we lost some of the dynamics that had been positive in our, let's call it, quote-unquote, good run prior to Anfield. So not just in terms of picking Shaka and Tierney, but more in terms of the, the tactical side of it. What do you think that changed in the way we played, if anything? Yeah, the the way we played is uh, I'm struggling, lads. Incredibly, annoying. <laughs> incredibly <laughs> we need to get you on the run quick. <laughs> incre- incredibly annoying, and because we know each other well, right? And mm-hmm. I, I said to Tim before the podcast started, I said, "I goes, mate, I goes, we all knew there'd be bumps in the road. So why does this bump hurt so much? You know what I mean? And the reason why I think because off of what is the way we played. We played like a team of yesteryear that we thought we'd left behind. And by that, I mean, we had so many people behind the ball. We had no one to pass to. And when we did pass forward, we're passing forward to a player that was massively outnumbered, massively tightly marked, getting kicked up his backside and kicked up the pitch. So we weren't brave enough. So one of my old phrases, we didn't stand in the tulips, right? We didn't stand in there. We, did, we were happy. That's why Shaka's pass numbers are so good in the first half, because they're all in our half. We were happy to play the ball in areas that didn't hurt them. This is what we used to do. Remember, lads, when Paul was talking about getting a toothpaste up the tube, this is a this is eight months old. You know, we'd left this behind, and we brought it back. And so what does that tell you? Under stress, we defaulted to something that we all don't like. We weren't saying this when Sambi was on there and Maitland-Niles was on there. I know people are critiquing Party, but when Party was on there, we, we, we weren't saying this. We were, we were getting direct passes. We were passing into areas. We worried about what we did when the ball went into those areas. We weren't even there, right? So that annoyed me a lot. Another thing that annoyed me, you got Everton basically protesting, right? Protesting. So, you know, you have a way of playing. You have a game model. I get it. You have a game model. That game model has to be tweaked by the variables of the day. The variables of the day is, they are crap. They are they are so scared of us. You look like two, you look like two boxers tapping each other on the chin in the first half. Just tapping each other gently. We don't really want to throw any punches because we're scared. Well, no, but we're scared. Well, why are yeah. we scared? Why are we scared? Why are we scared all of a sudden? What happened to Leicester away Arsenal? What happened to those first 50 minutes and we used to smash teams? Where where has that gone? Where have we put that away? Why have we stuck that in the wardrobe? Why? Why? Why now? Why have we done this to ourselves? What's changed? And so you have to tweak your game model. You have to say to yourself, they're a little bit edgy. Let's go for them. 
let's not play exactly where they want us to play, which is in our own box. Do you know what I mean? Passing around our own box. They're thinking, I'll tell you what, we're not playing very well. We can't build up patterns. What we can do at home, we can show our home fans who want to walk out in 27 minutes that we can run about a bit. We can kick people. And if we do it there, we're going to get a reward. Can it take two passes? We get a shot. What else do you need to do is actually put them under stress and play in their half. But no, 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 we're not. We're playing academy football. We're doing our patterns from the goalkeeper. I'm sorry, this was not the time to do that. This was the time to stress them, and we played our own half and stressed ourselves. And I think, well, I don't think that's good management, Elliot. <laughs> Before yeah, I say I something, mean, I might regret. Well, I, you know what? You've been you've been very careful, Clive, to always try to find what the manager's trying to do on the pitch and, and analyze what's going on the pitch instead of defaulting to lazy, you know, finger pointing. So I, I think it's totally fair for you when you see it as a managerial failing to say that because you're certainly not someone who defaults to that. It's a game management failing. You manage the games in front of you. Don't just play your game. Play the games in front of you. Manchester United, we didn't play them. We played the we played the badge. Play them, they're shit. When we play them, you know, they were there for the taking. We didn't play them. We got internalized in our own fears. And that just exacerbated in this game. But this is worse because I can just about deal with an average Manchester United with a, a billion pounds of talent on the pitch beating us on their home ground. But I'm struggling to deal with this. Mm. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to deal with this. Well, and, and the one thing I'll say, you know, there is some, and I, I leaned into it, let's be fair with my intro, some uh, defaulting to the, when we get the lead, we go to pieces thing. And I get that that happened again in this game because we were 1-0 up. But I actually think that that's a bit lazy in this game because in previous games where we had taken the lead, we had actually been dominating the opposition and playing pretty well and then went to pieces. This game, we were just bad, period. Found a goal because they're shit and we had 90 seconds of good play and then continued to be shit. Um, so, I, you know, I think this was more of a just bad game start to finish. And in fact, maybe in the last 20 minutes, we played our best football. Th this team wakes up and gets urgency. And when it has urgency in it, it can play a bit. I don't know why it's so scared to just go do that. And I don't know if that's transmitted from the manager or if it's or if it's the players. Tim, the, the thing that I think you have to look at, though, when you ring the changes, you get change. And the question becomes, are you changing to something better or worse? It's one thing to say, I'm going to take out Lacazette and put in Odegaard, you know, or say I'm going to take out Tavares and put in Tierney. But you play Lacazette, who hasn't played striker all season. You lose Emil Smith-Rowe, a high-touch sort of inside wide forward, and switch to a more off-the-ball, penalty box-oriented forward Martinelli. You change from a two-way fullback in Tavares to an up-the-pitch get in the cross fullback in Tierney. You change from a, you know, tidy on the ball, progressive midfielder in Lakanga to more of a sit deep, static midfielder in Shaka. And you look at the number of changes you've made and you say, in a best case scenario, it's going to take time to work it out. It doesn't surprise me that we had, I mean, we had one shot on target in the first half. We had two total shots. And one of them, as you pointed out in the instant reaction, Tim, was... Thomas Party's hilarious, you know, orbital shot. So, you know, I mean, I, I guess, I guess you what I would say is that it was funny. Did you, Tim? <laughs> you know how Tim loves point. a speculative shot. Um, I, I think, I think my point is that this number of changes with this number of stylistic differences is always going to yield a little bit of rust and time to adapt. But you're moving away from the things that you built your. And I'll put good run in quotes because I know some people think it's overstated, but it was a, it was something. It was a morsel. 
and you've now really moved away from it. And one thing that came back, I talked about the Shaka to Tierney Highway, but again, it's Shaka left defensive half space in line with the defenders, party alone in central midfield as it's vacated, Tierney out of the camera angle. You know, I mean, it, it, it's a pattern of play that we hadn't seen a lot of. And, you know, it's roles that players haven't taken on. So forgetting who the players are, the names on the shirts, do you think just the amount of change in the styles of players was always going to, to have the possibility of yielding this kind of, this kind of rusty performance, which in the first half it clearly looked like to me? Yeah, yeah, I think there's something to that and <clears throat> and missing Smith Rowe as well, which I mean in one respect is unfortunate. In another, I think the signs were there in the Man United game that he needed yeah. to come off and he wasn't taken off, and that's because we're heavily reliant on him. Um but I, I think um and and yes, I I think a lot of those very predictable patterns of play came back. Um, we weren't pressing anymore. Like when we started playing the kind of four two 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 system, like a month or two ago, there was you know we started that off with lots of high pressing, forcing lots of turnovers, things like that. That's all gone. You know, can you do that with Jacker in the team? Um, probably not. That that kind of dictates your style to you a little bit, which is a bit more standoffish and, like you said, a little bit more. Um, not leaving a bit of a hole in the midfield. And we know that Arteta wants to do that. We know that Arteta regards that space as more important than the centre circle, which um, I'm not sure I agree with. But I, I think the thing is, it's just, it's like, it's so predictable. Like we all know what's going to happen. So um, I know I've said this before, like if you're an analyst and you've got Arsenal coming up, like you can take a day off basically <laughs> that's that that's one that's one assignment you can rush because it's like this is exactly what they're going to do like <laughs> you know um it, it's it's just quite obvious but it, it's just weird i think what, what we're all and paul referenced it there as well like what we're all struggling with is we don't really know what's going on because as you said as soon as it gets to 80 minutes and it's one one all, a lot of these problems go away, like the sloppiness in possession goes away, the ball progression issue goes away, not being able to put teams under pressure goes away. So there's got to be something there, and I really don't know what it is. Um, I, I'll read out a tweet from um, from Arsenal Column, who I'm, I'm sure, uh, and I'm from Arsenal Common, Column, who I know uh, people will know very well, but I think he came close to putting his finger on it. And uh, this is something I've been wondering the last few days. It's not so much, is it a question of Arsenal dropping off, but Arsenal, you know, just not really, not so much being told to drop off, but just not having enough instruction about how to go forward, if that makes sense, because it it's all... Sense, yeah all so focused on building from the back and all of a sudden now we're back to this kind of very slow progression. It must start at the centre half and and all of this kind of stuff. And, and actually we're seeing less of Ramsdale, um, you know, with those kind of progressive passes. It, it all seems a bit more laboured again. Um, but but Anam uh, tweeted during the game, that's the thing about saying Arteta doesn't want his team to defend so deep that it's a subconscious reaction by the players. It's clear he wants to bring his players back to start with the ball always at the back. He hasn't created enough conditions to get his team higher. And I wonder if what happens when we concede and it goes to 1-1 is kind of we, we just become, and I mean this in a good way, a bit more chaotic. There's a bit more urgency. There's a bit more fuck um 
bollocks to like doing the protractor. I mean, everyone can get behind that. (laughs) (laughs) A a little less like protractor football, you know, like, oh no, Mikel says I must pass to this guy and we must go here and here and here. And it's like orienteering. And and I don't know, like I'm grasping here, but maybe it's a bit, it becomes a bit more chaotic in in a good way. And all of a sudden, Nketi is running at a a fullback um, who, in Ben Godfrey, who, let's face it, is, shit at fullback yeah, yeah. Um, not not a bad centre half but shit at fullback and all of a sudden he can't do it like he can't deal with Eddie Nketiah running at him which is um, you know I, I didn't even know Eddie Nketiah could do that to be honest <laughs> um, and so it, it's it's just it's so hard to put your finger on um, because you know like I, I'm sympathetic to making changes in this game because you know we had three games in what six days but for the first time in quite a while and you do have to rotate and you do have to get the best out of your squad but yeah so some of those decisions and, and I could uh, like at kickoff I was kind of all right with Lacazette starting ahead of Aubameyang I, I didn't think it would solve a lot but I kind of thought okay but Martinelli's there so that makes some sense. Like Martinelli can kind of do the Oba stuff. And then instead what we do is go a little bit galaxy brain and try and do that dual tens thing between Odegaard and Lacazette and then have Martinelli kind of going forward. And, uh, and, and to be fair, that's, that is where our goal comes from. Um, but then we had like Lacazette instead of forming like the second line of attack which he actually quite likes this is one of my issues with him as a number nine we were talking in the podcast the other day about creating that two lines of attack and you have like one um one kind of pulling defenders out the way a lot like martinelli did on the first goal pushing those center halves away from Erdegaard. lacazette likes to be in that second line that's what he likes he likes being on the penalty spot and and, and it would have made a lot of sense for him to be making the run that Erdegaard makes, but he's actually over on the left wing. And we kept like rotating him out wide when Martinelli came in. And I really don't think that's Lacazette's game. As as bad as he was, I do I do have some sympathy because I think he was actually asked to do something I don't think I've ever seen him do before mm-hmm. in terms of doing that wide rotation thing. Um and, and I don't I don't really get what that was about. And again, it felt a little bit a little bit galaxy brain, a little bit overthinking. And, you know, when a team is a little bit low on confidence anyway, that that strikes me as a bit of a fool's errand, to be honest. But yeah, so there were like plenty of changes. And like, um, you know, we've all referenced, uh, again, Paul referenced the stats of, of Xhaka there. And obviously we lose the second goal because he's already made one tired foul and he can't make another tired foul. Um, at the end, which was what we really needed in that moment. So I, I'm sure even Arteta would be thinking, yeah, I should have I should have taken my my son and Lord Granite Jacker off for 10 minutes or so. Um, you know, and then I could have, you know, I could have just like punished myself when I got home and, you know, I don't know, like that scene in Fight Club where the guy like puts like the soap acid <laughs> yeah. on his hands. Like I could have done that as penance afterwards, but kept the point. Um but yeah, and it, it's it's weird, and and yeah, I said this on the instant reaction pod, but I, I kind of I get why Jack is important, but we honestly we treat him like he's prime Ronaldinho or something, and like he like he's world class and simply must play all the time, and I I I found that odd, and I have to say maybe a little bit desperate. And even if you like him, he hasn't played in months. And yeah, you're exactly. already making other changes. So like yeah. you've got, cause, cause this whole thing, Tim, isn't there supposed to be this whole meritocracy thing we've been praising and like Lakanga's man of the match candidate against Newcastle 
He's dropped for El Nenny at Old Trafford and dropped for a, hasn't played in months Shaka, you know, for Everton. And it doesn't yeah. feel very meritorious to me. And, and like, Xhaka was fine until he got yeah. knackered. And it's not his fault he got tired. It completely stands to reason that he got tired. But he needed his manager to to see that. And, and his manager didn't. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, to your point, one of the things that we've been saying a lot with Arsenal that's been a struggle, and we've been saying it mostly after we've taken a lead, but I thought it was a struggle this whole game, is that there's no way out. There's no exit. And, you know, against Newcastle, we played with no net. We just went up the pitch and stayed up the pitch and committed resources up the pitch. And you know what? Say Maxman and Jolinton had a couple of chances the other way, and we snuffed them out barely. There was the shoulder-to-shoulder challenge from uh, Tavares that was excellent. But you take those risks because the trade-off is that you think when you have dominant territory against a weaker team defensively, you'll make them pay. And we did against Newcastle. But even then, we stopped at 2-0. Yeah, oh, yeah like, I know. There but were we did at it least two other goals on, on the pitch for us, and we stopped. I, I totally agree. But at 2-0, at least you can tolerate it. My yeah. point, Tim, is we didn't. we did it this game. At two one down, it's or at one yeah. one, you know, at seventy nine minutes, and look at what it did. Just by committing those resources, we had an Odegaard chance, an Oba sitter at the death, an Inkedia sitter, like all, all the football we played without it. And and so you know, maybe I'm being tactically naive here and just talking about put guys up the pitch, but I do think sometimes if you want to play in the attacking third, you need more players in the attacking third. And if you look at like Lacazette's first half touch map. It's half of the touches are in our half and the other half are in the left half space on the edge of the attacking third. And that's it. Um, there's no point of the spear. There's no tip of the spear. There's no, there's no presence in the attacking third. You know, if you look at Martinelli, who I like, and I think there are a lot of good things he did, you know, he's all the way out on the, I mean, half of his touches are in our half and the other half are out on the left touch line. So I, I don't see how we were going to push them back. And so Paul, I think one thing we should touch on even though I hate to get bogged down in it, because I think there's a fine line between recognizing something was a factor in the game and using it as an excuse. So I want to say this. You can recognize something was a major injustice in the game and also recognize that that does not absolve you from playing the football. I said this on the instant reaction, Paul, but I want to say it again just to be clear. If you get a penalty given against you wrongly and you lose because of it, that's major because it is a goal down you shouldn't have been down. If you get a man sent off wrongly, that's major because you're a man down that you shouldn't have been down. But if you are denied a red card that should have been given to the other team, while it is an injustice, it doesn't rob you of the ability to still go beat the team 11 v 11. So let's face it. Mike Dean was awful. They should have been down to nine men. The stomp on Tomiyasu's face is an absurdity and should be a red card. The studs to Tavares should be a red card. There are a couple others that I think are borderline, if not double yellows. They should not have had 11 men on the pitch, but I am not using that as an excuse. But let's at least address it because certainly, certainly bad. And while also recognizing they have two goals hilariously chalked off due to blade of grass offsides. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was disgusting. I couldn't, when I saw the the replay and the VAR thing, I'm like, oh, he's gone. It's so clearly a guy uh, putting the studs into another guy's head. I would, Did I'm, you hear what Neville said, by the way? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> For those who missed it, Gary Neville goes, uh, he definitely meant it, but I can see why it's not a red card. 
like, yeah, what? but he, he also <laughs> said, it, 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 yeah, it, he also said anybody who plays the game knows what he did there. Um, yeah, it's a red card. Uh, it's a red card. Um, and like he, he does that no look foul by looking away, but in a way that makes it worse because he doesn't actually, he knows he's stamping him in the head, but he doesn't know if he's getting him in the eye. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Like uh, some other dude had his eyeball hanging out in a game last week. Um, this is dangerous shit. I mean, the the studs on those boots aren't the studs I grew up playing with. Those things are like fucking razors. Yeah. Um, no, that's absolutely disgusting. Um, and what was done to Saka again, this game, other games, I'm like, this guy is one of the jewels of English football. And like, you would think referees might be a little protective of this guy, um, given the talent he has. And it's like fucking open season. It's like deer hunting on Saka. They can kick the shit out of him. Uh, Godfrey came out with a vendetta. Uh, there was a clear message from uh, Benitez, who has plenty of priors to say, let's kick the shit out of them because we got nothing else going for us. Uh, mix it up. Um and kind of uh, unsettled them. I don't think it particularly unsettled us. It, might, it obviously didn't help. The weather was shitty for about 10 minutes in the middle of the first half. You can throw in a few things that maybe threw us off our rhythm a little bit. Mm. But I didn't any, see any excuse making. I'll I tell you what I did appreciate was Arteta was asked about it afterwards. He didn't blink. He said, um, whatever, VAR had a, looked at it, had a look at it. I don't want to talk about that. We Basically, he says, we weren't good enough. We lacked yeah. quality. And, um, you know, while we're pasting him for the things he got wrong, I think I think it's important that, especially at this particular point in the season, that he's as honest as he can be with himself and with the team so we get to the root of what the problems are here. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of disgusting, sickening, but uh, as you say, it doesn't... Uh, I don't think it impacted... Us, they should have been down to 10 men, but I, we should have beaten them and we should have outplayed them. And, uh, you know, it's at home with their crowd and they w- would have eventually got their crowd behind them by getting stuck into us. But we, sh- you know, we should have been outplaying them. If we were unlucky and didn't get a result, so be it. But we didn't, we never got close to outplaying them. Um, yeah. But I, I do think there's a bit, we got to watch ourselves with the narrative of what we didn't do in this game. Uh, I think we did a lot more than we give ourselves credit for. It just it, w- it was low quality. I think we tried to do a lot of things. I think Lacazette was where he was supposed to be on the pitch. I think we were pressing the way we press. Um, I think we were, as they say, trying. But I I think that's a pretty te- low bar, though. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, if but, you said we weren't trying, <laughs> I mean, at that point, yeah. But you go and look at what what everybody's saying about what went on, and and people have assumed we haven't even hit the low bar. What I do think is that the way we choose to play, which has a certain amount of patience and building, and we're we're not the most direct. Means if you have low quality, it looks like you did fuck all. It looks like you never got out of your half. Because you kind of didn't, um, and like we're more susceptible to kind of quality dropping off, and it, like if you're only stringing three or four passes together in, s- instead of six, seven, or eight, you look terrible when you're this kind of team, because you basically you're in your third, 
maybe a little deeper in your middle third than than um, other teams might be. And it looks like you never got out of first or second gear, kind of because you didn't. Um, like the, uh, like the fir- our goal is a beautiful goal. There's no two ways about it. Their first uh, goal that was an offside, the free kick, was a free kick. Uh, we had a free kick like that in the second half where we hit Gabriel and he did very little with it. Like you can start going through the variances in a game and uh, this you know, is a game I, of time. Look, if you're trying to get me to say they didn't deserve to win it, I agree. No one deserved to win this terrible football game. Like I don't think yeah. they were better than us. I think I what think I'm trying to say we, is, we capitulated to a very, very bad Everton though. We did, yeah. I think what I'm trying to say is when your quality is low and mm. it shouldn't be, you look you look like we looked, and I think we're going to all sorts of places, not necessarily on this podcast, but in other places, uh, as to what the issue is when the, the issue is anything that impacts why our quality and our passing and our building. And, you know, that when your quality is low, people stop moving into space. People stop making the runs. The connections aren't there. Yeah. The synchronicities. I don't know why the quality is low at the moment, but we're not stringing enough passes together. And well, people are doing stupid shit with the ball when when, when they're so much better than this on the ball, or should be. Yeah, it's, it's one of the interesting things, and Clive, this is the point about styles of play. You know, to Paul's point, we're not stringing enough passes together. One thing you can do if you're not able to beat people with your passing is you can beat them with your dribbling. We're a very, very poor dribbling team. We completed three dribbles in the first half. We just don't dribble past teams. You know, you watch teams that have a dribbler that can get around people. I mean, Adama Traore is a frustrating player, but he's a very unique weapon, right? I'm not saying you need that, but we don't we don't have other ways to unlock teams. Because we don't press particularly effectively, we don't start a lot of possessions high up the pitch. Because we don't dribble, we don't get around pressure unless we pass our way through it. And so sometimes we make a goal like the first goal where we ping a couple passes together, put in a nice cross and get a second man run. But again, and this is a criticism that's been levied against Arteta a lot. And I think it feels very true. We need a very high level of quality and precision to create a chance. And if we don't have just the right precision and quality, we don't create the chance because we won't dribble our way to it. We won't press our way to it. We have to pass our way to it. And I think our players, to Paul's point, Clive, you just put a player kind of near our players and they have shown a willingness to just go backwards. That desire to make a hard pass, make a hard choice isn't there. I'm going to read a Pep quote that I got from Jamie in direct message on Twitter. This is Pep's, Pep, Pep uh, Guardiola, that guy. I loathe all that passing for the sake of it, all that tiki-taka. It's so much rubbish and has no purpose. You have to pass the ball with clear intention, with the aim of making it into the opposition's goal. It's not about passing for the sake of it. And sometimes, Clive, I think our players are happy to pass for the sake of it without a clear intention to progress the ball closer to goal. So how do we get more dangerous if our only way of playing is stringing 30 passes together up the pitch? Because right now, that doesn't look like it's going to work. Oh, wow, that's a lot there. Um, <laughs> as you I will. think it's for us to accept as well that we need to give people a, the ones who can progressive pass. We need to give them a break. You know, at least they're trying to do it. I think we're quite critical of certain people that try to slice through. And when they don't do it correctly, we say they give the ball away. So let's not pretend that we're all perfect and our heart rate's always on the beat because they're not. Right. So um, no, that's fair. If you're asking people to play the more dangerous passes, you have to be willing for them to 
not complete them all the time. Yeah. What's, ha- what's happened, Elliot, is that we've gone opaque again now. We're questioning things again. We weren't having this discussion a little while ago because we could see things, we could see clarity. We were concerned about the bursts of good play not being big enough and what happened if we didn't score, you know, and we have to come back. We haven't really solved that problem, came back from behind. But when we were playing well, even though it only lasted 25 minutes, it was something that we were quite pleased with. And then, so now we've gone back to something which we don't like. None of us like it. And I think now we're starting to ask questions of individuals again. And we are we are throwing darts at the dartboard as to what the problem is. Is it the system? Is it the players? Is it this? Well, I'm I'm of an opinion that I've seen bits of the promised land. I've seen bits of football which I really like. And I'm thinking, okay, now I've seen it. How can it be sustained? How can we improve the quality? If it didn't last long, why didn't it last long? Were we too close? Did we not have runners? Did we pass backwards too many times? Did we drop away? Why did we drop away? Those are the sort of questions I like I like to have. When I see this, when I see a, a an approach issue where you're not recognizing what's in front of you, I, I have less patience. Um I have I do think um the carrying thing is is, is an issue. But we Ben White carried us to defeat last night by carrying into an area, losing the ball, and then couldn't get back in, and they they shot, right? So there are aspects to our game and to the way we play and where our players are positioned, which I think could be improved. I think we've seen the back door of our team being rebuilt. We've got central midfield, which has suddenly had two old characters brought back in, and I th- and I feel we had similar, similar problems we had historically. Uh, with the wrong with uh, El Nenny having seventy three carries in the last game, which you don't want, and Shaka dropping away, and everyone has to come to him, which means they drop away, which means we've got nobody in the final third that we need. The only person that gets there is Kieran Tierney because Shaka likes to have space, he likes to see everything, so you have your distances right, so everything pulls onto him, you know. So we play his game. The last game played El Nenny's game. Guess what? Last two games we've not been happy, have we? We've not been happy. We can't. We, I don't want to play their game anymore. I want to play a game which involves vertical passing, people that can carry with commitment and commit people, and people who are not scared to chip the ball over the top. And because they're not scared to chip the ball over the top and they can do it, people are making those runs in behind. It's not been long enough, but I think we've taken a step back into yesterday's Arsenal, and I don't like that Arsenal. We spent ages trying to get away from it, trying to clear the dressing room, to create new leaders, you did it after the first international break. You put your boys in, get them back in, you know, get them back in and get playing the football you were playing. Another thing that's happened is we have we haven't played a lot, and suddenly we've had a compressed fixture list, and that means multiple decisions, and there may be things around fatigue that we're not aware of. They are if you are going to see an issue with younger players is playing all of the time there will be a level of fatigue, there will be a level of plateauing. And I'm wondering, and I don't want to give him, I'm wondering if he's trying to protect some of those players that are plateauing, fatiguing, because they're playing a lot, for maybe some of them for the first time in their careers. But, you know, I'm also looking at the Kieran Tierney thing and wondering, okay, is that being managed correctly? I'm not so sure. I'm looking at the Pepe thing. Is that being managed correctly? I'm not so sure. There's things here that are popping up into my mind that I think could 
we could get more out of the group if they were managed slightly differently, you know. But now I'm asking myself a question. Who is in the group? We're in the business month, pre-transfer window, and things have got strange, and I'm starting to wonder what's driving some of these decisions. Yeah, and I think what's hard, Clive, is like there are certain games where you come away saying, that's on the players. You know, this guy made a huge error and it cost us the game, or these players missed big chances. Some games feel more like manager games. You know, picking Elneny at Old Trafford and the way we played there and then making these changes in this game and the substitution patterns when they came, who he picked. There are some games that naturally lean more towards an analysis of the manager. And, you know, I'm not saying anything is entirely anyone's fault. Football is a multifactorial, multidimension problem that, can't be solved by analyzing one factor. Yep. But some factors feel bigger in certain games. And to I, be look, fair to you, Elliot, I will say that the Newcastle game post-Liverpool, is that right? Mm-hmm. The manager made a number of decisions of which we felt everyone was right almost. Full of praise for him. Yeah, Full of praise everyone was right. Now we got a bit funky because we got a compressed uh, schedule. And I just, I'm... I have concerns. So it's not about, hey, look, right, everybody will get something wrong. But these decisions seem to put our confidence right in the bin. And I don't understand why we've almost done this to ourselves when well, there was right. no need to do that. And I and I think this is self-inflicted, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, so, so look, I, I want to get into what I think will be the hardest part of this episode, which is, some individual performance analysis, some tough questions about the manager, and you know, particularly as it pertains to the substitutions. I think the the point is like like you freshen things up, you get these new players in, and then it felt like getting stale again by going back to things that we've seen before that didn't work. You know, it's kind of like you shave, and then the beard grows back, and you got to shave it again. You know, and this felt like the beard growing back. And I think maybe what we're really getting to here is that the manager needs, you know, he needs. The Manscaped products. Like, that's that's really what we're getting at here. I think if he had that fresh feeling, if he was freshened up, and I mean, look, the man is immaculately groomed himself, so surely he's already using Manscaped, but maybe that would help him so that when a Shaka starts to grow back into his team, you know, he could say, no, no, I need to shave that away. When a Lacazette at striker grow, I need to shave that away and freshen up again. And you can do that too. It's just as good for you as it would be for the manager. And I recommend you do it because these make great Christmas gifts. Here's some ideas. The two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, just launched, kills two birds with one stone. The Manscaped cologne-infused body wash, how about that? You want to smell good all the time? Can't hurt. Shears 2.0, a luxury four-piece nail kit. I find that nail care is one of those things men in particular overlook, but like when I actually started taking care of my nails, my wife, it's one of the few things my wife has complimented me on in, in our marriage, so obviously that's positive reinforcement, which always helps. Crop mops. Ball wipes for your stanky balls is what's written here. I'm going to rewrite that and say uh, handy wipes for your private areas that sometimes you don't have the time for a a full cleaning, you know, and just to freshen up can help. I don't know. You do you. No judgments. And of course, Manscaped Signature Cologne. There are some ideas. The formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free, so you know the products are legit. But of course, the hero product, the Lawnmower 4.0, it is a wet, dry shaver, purpose-built to get your body shaved without nicks, without ingrown hairs. You get those beautiful ceramic blades on your body and you are going to be all good. It is a contact charger, so you can just set it in its charging cradle. It goes in the shower. It goes where you want it to go. It uh, The battery life is insane. You're going to love it. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code ArsenalVision. You will get 20% off and free shipping worldwide. It's the ballsiest gift ever, they say here. I wonder if that's meant to be a pun. 
I suggest it is. Whether this is for your partner, dad, brother, friend, get them something they will actually use and it's almost sure to get a laugh. Well, I hope they're not laughing when you display your privates. That would be weird. Okay, Clive, is that enough of that? Yeah, I'm just realizing how many grooming things I'm not doing. So uh, these adverts are making me feel very inadequate all of a sudden. I, I think we know what to get you for Christmas. I mean, it was already on the plan, but I assumed you had the full line. But if not, guess what, Clive? We got you sorted. Okay, Tim. I think before we really get into what will hopefully not be an argumentative section of the pod, but just the trickiest <laughs> section, which is is just you know some some tough questions that I think need to be asked about maybe the manager and a few players, there is the substitution bit to get to. And substitutions are a tricky one, right, Tim? Because there's process and there's outcome. For example, Eddie and Kedia did some really good stuff. He's got mm-hmm. a sitter. He misses it. That's not great, but he's in position. He beats a man and plays a pass into Odegaard that if he has a right foot, you know, he probably scores. We won't be too hard on Odegaard. He scored our one goal and was arguably our best player on the day. Um, overall, Enkedia did make a difference, but we are back in a situation with Mikel Arteta where, you know, messages are being sent and discipline is being handed out. And in this case, you know, and we went through the Ozil thing and the Ganduzi thing and the this guy thing and the that guy thing, and right now it's the Pepe thing and he doesn't get to play. You know, Aubameyang doesn't come on, and Kedia does. And in this case, it's not some young kid who's a bright part of our future coming on. It's a guy who, you know, turned down a contract and is leaving. And we are starting to give minutes to guys like Elneny and guys like Lacazette and guys like Enkedia, who, while they are in the team, and so they're fair play to use them, are not part of the future. And we are neglecting guys who we have signed up. And so process-wise, I don't get it. Outcome-wise, you could say Enkedia was actually one of the, the brighter subs. But I'm curious about... First of all, how slow we were to make them. 70 for one minute uh, for one sub and then 79 for the next two. And just who we chose and, and you know, this, this thing we're back to with sending messages to players and players being frozen out. Yeah, of course. And, and the one that was made on 70 minutes was enforced um, due to injury as well. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, I, I completely agree um, with, you know, your, your assessment of Inketia that, that he was one of the bright spots um, when he came on. But, I mean, it's obviously pointed to both Pepe and Abamyang, by the way, because it's one thing to sit Abamyang down because he's not playing brilliantly at the moment, um, but then to not bring him on in that scenario, or to, or rather, to bring Inketia on ahead of him and only give Abamyang the last six minutes. That feels pointed as well, not as pointed as Pepe, but pointed nonetheless. And yeah, I mean, like obviously, you know, when you lose a couple of games, everything, like all, all of the stuff that you can only speculate on, uh, just automatically becomes wrong. But in this situation, it does feel a little bit like he's doing things to score points against his players rather than to score points for his team. And it 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 feels like there. Ha- I mean, maybe there hasn't. Basically, there hasn't been a day. Um, under Arteta where someone hasn't been frozen out for reasons that are a little bit mysterious. And it's it's quite a combative style of management. And I I do understand that, you know, the culture at Arsenal was probably a little bit on the rancid side and that he wanted to lay down the law. And as a young coach, he wanted to do that. And culture is important to him and things like that. Mm-hmm. But But leadership is about convincing people, ultimately. However you do it, it's about convincing people. And different people are convinced in different ways. You can convince people with the stick. You can convince people through punishment. Some people can be and and are motivated that way not everyone is and 
it does feel a little bit like that's that's just the stock answer the kind of well you just won't play but w- what is interesting with pepe is is that he's on like he's in the match day squad like he's on the bench when really for the last four games i mean he shouldn't have been because he obviously wasn't to be considered like at all so it it does feel like quite punitive almost to just say i'm gonna take you you're gonna get on the you're gonna get on the bus to everton and i'm gonna make you sit in the cold in your bench jacket and your hat um but you're not playing (laughs) um i'd be interested to know if he even warmed up um last night it it didn't look like it because when enketia came on uh pepe was sat there um you know a little bit moon-faced um in what i think has already become a bit of a meme but but yeah, and and not bringing on Aubameyang until six minutes before the end when we're chasing a goal, it it all feels a bit pointed again, and it does come to a stage where you kind of think, is there a common denominator here? <laughs> and and I, I'll be careful about saying that because I, I'm not enormously eager to see Pepe per se. I've said many times before I want Pepe's minutes to go to Martinelli, and that's happening now, and I'm happy about that. I do wonder what the reason for that is, though, whether it's because he really likes and believes in Martinelli or whether it's just because um, he's having a tiff with Pepe. And that Mm. that doesn't quite feel as healthy. You know, that doesn't feel like, I believe in you, Martinelli. That feels more like, oh, Pepe, I'm going off with my new friend now. Don't get jealous, will you? Um, (laughs) It's all like, it's, yeah, it's. It's all very, it's all very, very strange. I mean, and to some degree, look, we we spoke about this. He is going to have to use certain players. So, like, Lord knows where Callum Chambers is, but I'm sure he'll get an appearance at some point. Like, we are going to have to rotate, and it did feel like he'd drawn a real line between his kind of his starting eleven and who his guys are and who they aren't. And obviously, now we're in a period where it's a bit more congested, and we do have to use other people, which, which is fine. When it's it's the people we're not using, that's that's the kind of that's the question. And again, it just and and I wonder, and I don't know because I'm speculating, but I wonder what that does to the mood in the camp. You know, when there's always someone who's on the naughty step. Like, mm. at what point do players start thinking, when's that going to be me? You know what? What? What if? Like, am I walking on eggshells here? Like, what's? What's? And unless it's unless it's like massively obvious that Pepe can't be asked in training or something. Like, I do wonder, like, whether you get to a bit of a tipping point where it's a bit like that thing Arsene Wenger used to say about shouting at half time, and he was like, "You can only do it really once a season, max twice. Because if you do it more than that, then you know it's like shouting at a child. Like, if you keep shouting at your child." eventually it just they don't care anymore because it's just what you do and yeah. and and yeah th- this is all speculation on my part i, d- I don't really know we don't, we, it's all we can do it, right it, what else it can feels you do? <laughs> weird it feels weird doesn't it it just feels yeah. like and like maitland niles wasn't in the squad again yesterday and it just feels a bit a man of the match in the last time he started you know yeah so maybe he got too yeah. big for his britches again who know you know i don't i don't know i mean you know what's interesting Tim is you contrast it so like everything for me is compared back to Arsene Wenger not because that's what we should be doing but it's the only other manager we've known that was long term at Arsenal and had success but like he wanted to win so much that even when he wanted to mete out discipline 
he couldn't hold himself to it. Remember, he tried to bench Alexis at Anfield mm. and brought him on at halftime. And we criticized him for that because that was a mixed message, right? But there's this part of me that thinks like the really competitive managers that prize winning over everything find a way to work with their trickiest players because if yeah. they can help them win, they know that that's Look more good. important than than being proven right. And sometimes I think Arteta, you know, I, I almost want to be like, you're hurting yourself, man. And I'm not saying Pepe is Alexis. He's not. And he's been bad at times. But you can't just freeze out players of that quality when you're a team that scores one goal a game at look best. At, um, look, look at what Conte did with Diego Costa at Chelsea. Like mm. he, he basically, he kept a lid on it. And then the day they won the league, he sent him a text message telling him to fuck off and like, <laughs> that he'd never play yeah. again. Like he, he just, but he kept a lid on it until yeah. like that title was won. And then like the day after he, like he did it by text message as well. He was like, you will never play for me again. And and that's, yeah, it's like, I'll I let get you in that kind of pettiness. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, I'll, I'll wait till we won the league and then I'll tell you to fuck off. Yeah. And, and I mean, y- you will take that because, Ultimately, unlike companies, like a corporation has, you know, long, long, long range goals to hit. Sporting operations have shorter range goals to hit because let's face it, a player is only there three or four seasons, maybe five or six. A manager is only there, you know, two or three, maybe four or five. So, you know, if Can I ask though, Elliot? Yeah, please, by the way. Who has he frozen out apart from, obviously he has an issue with Pepe at the moment, maybe because Pepe sucks and his head isn't in the right place, but who else has he frozen out? Well, I mean, we don't want to relitigate the ones that are dead, right? <laughs> like From like, like a year and a bit. Well, the Ganduzis, the Ozils, I mean, you could know, say but, that there's maybe a like, Saliba issue there. He, he didn't want to use him, so we had to go into the market to, to spend instead. I mean, these are all old times. I do not want like to Like, they're way old. No, no, like, no, I know. I don't want to. It's not like nobody gets Ozil and Ganduzi. I mean, you, well, you so might So why don't we just address the, the issue of the moment? What's your take on, you know, just clear-headedly, what's your take on what he you know what he's doing right now with some choices and selections substitutions and choosing not to yeah you know, I, not to bring on Obamiang over but I don't think it's some. Pepe. Right. All right so just Pepe how about that? Yeah Pepe um maybe he kind of sucks at the moment and his head isn't in the right spot. He wasn't very good before he stopped playing. Um it's not the Di- Diego Costa story where like he was helping them win shit. Pepe yeah Pepe wasn't doing a lot for us, and he's kind of, he doesn't like the fact, he's probably looking at it saying, fuck it, I'm never getting in. He's he's singing along to the Bakayo Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe song too, saying, damn it, uh, that is a catchy song. I'm never getting on the pitch. But he's looking at it thinking, I've gone down the pecking order, and he doesn't like it, and he's getting a bit moody, and Afghan's coming along. And, and so I'm not saying... There isn't a bit of a Pepe thing and he couldn't handle But it's like we have created a narrative that he's all, like, there isn't always somebody on the naughty step. In fact, sometimes we're shocked how people who've been written off are back in again. Yeah, no, that's fair. You can get too far into narratives. But let, let me ask you a question then. And this is not meant as a pointed question. It's an mm. honest question because I'm I'm curious about your take on it. And, and I'm not sure how I feel about it either, um, which is just at, at what level... What is the balance that a manager has in terms of needing to get a tune out of players and being responsible for not being able to versus also knowing when it's time to sit players down and look for other solutions? Because I agree, you know, Pepe finished last season very much in the team and excelling. And yeah, I thought he late, also finished... It was a late run by him. 
Yeah, yeah. And But so what I'm saying is, and he hasn't been great this season. Clearly something, I think it's fair to say, clearly something happened in the Palace game, and Clive identified as well, where he wasn't as happy with him. We haven't seen him mm-hmm. since, really. But what what do you think is the balance between a manager needing to manage the harder players, get tunes out of the tougher players, not just work with the guys who sing from the same hymn sheet, but also recognizing that a manager does need to create certain criteria for playing, and if players don't meet that criteria, he has to stick to it. Like, How do you view yeah. that balance? Because I think that's a tricky one, and I, I tend to default to you got to play the most talented players and find ways to get them on board. I, that's sort of more my inclination. Yeah, but he's not the most talented player. Fair enough. You know, well, what's your, what's your, how do you balance um, those equities? I think you're exactly right. You have to, in the sense that you have to balance it, but you don't have to play the most talented players. You have to play the players that play best together. That's not the same thing. Fair. And you'll mm-hmm. find manager after manager who say it's about the team, which is, of course, in the end, you wanted to be almost all of your best players at the same time, but not at all your best players on the p- pitch at the same time. That's like seven or eight uh, exciting attackers, or you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, or maybe taking it to a ridiculous point. But you don't. You put out the best eleven that play the best together, and Pepe is not in our best eleven, and maybe is not taking it well. And I think the more important thing is for us to accept as supporters that there are things we'll never understand if we're not part of the squad, if we're not on the training ground. We just won't be there, and I, I can't say either way whether. Pepe has been a bit of a dickhead or Arteta's getting wrong or or he could take a better approach to, uh, uh, man management skills to coach him along but it's not surprising that there'll be somebody in your team at some point who's not happy especially when he looks at the team sheet and he doesn't even need to look at it if Smith Rowe and Saka are, are fit and healthy especially with the Odegaard now beginning to perform and come into things with Lacazette taking on this additional role in the team. So that he's looking at thinking, Jesus Christ, I'm number five to get on the list if 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 there's a kind of a he's not even getting the tactical switches or the whatever, because there's there's five guys for two, three spots. Um and he's like, How do I get into this? Now there there are different ways of playing where you could get Pepe on the pitch. You know, Clive's talking about uh, maybe using uh, Pepe in the kind of the four four two instead of Lacazette in that role, which would be really interesting to see. I mean, it's not that there's no way on the pitch for him, but he's seeing that there's no way on the pitch right now. And Arteta isn't managing to coax him along, but I guess there's... Like, if you're a manager, you're always going to have someone who has an issue when you've got talented players in your squad and uh, on the plus side, there's a lot of games coming up. So let's see how that. How many times have we gone back and learned something and said, oh, okay, that, w- that was the problem. The guy had his leg amputated the week before. That's why he wasn't playing. So mm. uh, we'll know more in January, I think, about how bad the rift with Pepe is. But like, he's not even getting off the bench. Like, I get all that side of it. But you always have a player there's something going on with. Yeah, and and let's be clear, right, Paul? Like, for me, Martinelli playing ahead of Pepe is not a thing because you could argue Martinelli is the better player right now and the better player for the team right now. And Kedia getting on ahead of Pepe is when you start to get into the, oh, there's something here. And I like that he started Martinelli again. I think we all do, that he's giving these younger players. And once you pick Martinelli and you decide Alba needs a bit of a rest, you understand why Lacazette's on there. I like that Odegaard's starting to 
step up and play. You know, if we'd won, we'd ha- we'd feel quite differently mm. about quite a few things right now. Unfortunately, we we lost and we're playing crap. So yeah, the only thing <laughs> I'd say is, and this is unusual. Table. Usually, when we you know scuff our way to a lead in a game, people are like, "Well, we're leading. It's all that matters." I was really surprised on social media how negative the reaction was at halftime of this game for a game we were leading. I think people recognize that that performance was pretty turgid. Uh, Yeah, though the goal was at the end and we were shit till that point and it was kind of like... No, I I, I agree with you. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Um, All right, Clive, let's let's do a few performances and then we can finish on some, some pointed questions for the manager, which I think are, at this point, at least a little bit fair. Performance wise, I think this is a difficult game to analyze because it felt like a systemic failure in large portions. Um, you know, there there are big moments. There's there's Aubameyang. I mean, does anything summarize our season and the season Aubameyang is having having more than a chance to steal a draw at the death, and Aubameyang tamely hitting a sitter? Why? I mean, maybe sitter is overstating that, but a goal he can and should score wide. I mean, it's a great microcosm. But like, in terms of performances that led to the systemic failure, it's hard for me not to look at the the spine of the team and the the inability to create anything going right up the middle of the pitch. And, and so you have two very experienced players in Shaka and Thomas Partey. You have Alexander Lacazette, a very experienced player, you know, who... who you know, I, I think we've praised when we praised him this season for being able to help help link the play and build things. I didn't see us being able to move things through the middle of the park at all. I also thought Ben White had one of his worst games distribution wise and deciding when to carry, when to pass. So for me, the middle, just that that spine of the team really let us down. And so everything funneled out wide as it sometimes does, which is a pattern we saw a lot previously, but hadn't seen quite as much this season. I'm curious where you saw performance wise the individual failures that led to the systemic failure if if you saw it as an individual thing you know yeah i i uh, yeah, i try not to uh i'll tell you what i saw get stuck into the individuals uh, yeah you know the words i was going to use <laughs> um i tell you what i did see i saw damari gray consistently running off that left hand side into our midfield and out sprinting shaka into that middle i mm. saw that consistently all I, I just saw some of the old problems. I saw us losing races. I saw us losing jewels and sent midfield. Thomas Pike was part of that as well. We were a little bit slow in there. You know, uh, we, we weren't connected. We weren't engaged. We were afraid to tackle, it felt like to me. They weren't afraid to tackle us, that's for sure. Uh, Mike Dean did his normal thing like he did against Palace, which was like, you can have a good old go at them because you're a little old Everton and they're Arsenal. They should be able to deal with it. Mm. You can even kick them in the face if you want. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll, we'll sort it out. <laughs> Step on their face. Specifically. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, um, so I, I saw a bit of that. I definitely saw a bit of the old Shaka in the back line, three at the back job again. You know, I yeah. saw that. Yep. Um, again, that means it's great for him and he can play and he looks all, he looks good. But then we're not squeezed up, we're not tight, we're not pushing. We've got two quick centre-backs now. That means we can push up, we can push into them. We didn't do that. Um, I thought Tierney was a little bit subdued, but even subdued, he's still one of our better players. Um, I saw Saka on the extremities of our team, and he's you know it won't be long before we Pepe him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And in lane five and wondering why he's any more involved. Can he play inside? Because that role is the hardest role in the team for me. Lane, Let's just uh, hope we don't Jack Wilshire him or something, you know, or yeah. Hector Bellerin him, right? 3,000 minutes and then a knee injury and, you know. It, yeah, and, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe we need to get 
to a bit more of a cradle system where, you know, like we were playing just a little while ago, we've got two centre-backs there on their own, two centre-midfields on the slant, really engaged, and two full-backs pushed up slightly, but not all the way high too early, giving them a chance to join in and create pressure and overloads on both sides. We were doing that just a little while ago, and we've gone away from it. You know, it, it didn't always work, but it looked like something we could get behind. You know, we were playing well and scoring goals. It wasn't so long ago, on Friday night against Aston Villa, I walked out of that ground thinking, this one of the best nights I've had in years. Mm. You know, I walked out there and said, this, is my, this could be my top five, top ten. A league game against Aston Villa on a Friday night. It was brilliant. Absolutely exhilarated. That was only a little while ago. So we have to relax a little bit here. You know, the Saturday morning against Leicester, I've gone, oh my, I can't believe what's going on. Mm. We're bopping them. We're literally the team of the moment, bopping them. Where's that gone? Where's that gone? So when we're analysing this... Because it's gone or have we made choices that made it go away? Well, I don't know. And I, I, I think I, I can't get over this. Why have we thrown ourselves into a hole? Which is making us, you know, us, all of us, including myself, start to speculate in our analysis. You know, we're talking about things that we have no idea if it's true or not. We just don't. We can just say what we see based on the fact we've lost something, something gone from the group. And what were we talking about? Literally, I'm talking two, three weeks ago. What was the buzzword? Unity. Connectivity between us and the team and the crowd. Remember? Come on, lads. Do you remember all this? These are the words that were being there. And, and here we are a couple of weeks later, and that's just all chucked in the bin. We talk about we've never seen the club so connected from top to bottom. They're trying to work them. The, the club is trying to connect to the, the fan base. And I'm thinking, this is starting to get going here. This is good. And then we we got Liverpool. Okay, we get we get we get done. That's fine. And I even even that the reaction as I think Tim said over before <laughs> during the pub. Tim said the reaction was very adult and mature. You know, where people say, you know what, that's where we are. I can take it. I don't like to take this next year, but I'll take it this year. But then, bang. And it just shows you. Gary Neville said something last night. He said, Arteta's teetering. And I know what he meant by that was, he's either a hero or it's literally zero. Mm. And that is not healthy for any club. That could be something which is more football now. I mean, it's a bit of that, yeah. Yeah, Everton short last night. Cycle, short memories. Yeah. yeah, Everton last night. They've not won. They've not won a game in eight, and suddenly they got the bunting out last night. Do you know what I mean for one game and everything's fixed? Do you know what I mean? And and I don't like living in that in football analysis environment. If I'm honest with you, I'm a little bit more circumspect, but that's me. I'm, I'm that's the way I am. And but I'm just trying to rem- remind myself it wasn't so long ago. I was walking out of that ground thinking. This is wonderful. And here we are now, and I'm questioning my very existence. <laughs> I'm questioning so can I, my Can I everything. challenge you on that just slightly? Mm-hmm. Which is, are, are they both two sides of the same coin, though, which is that you walk out of a league, a home league fixture against Ever, uh, Aston Villa feeling like top of the world or come away from a, an away league fixture against Everton feeling like you want the manager sacked. They're both the s- two sides of the same coin in the sense that if you zoom out and look at a wide enough uh, time frame where I struggle, Clive, is slightly different, which is just I see roughly the same 
there are patches of improvement and patches yeah. of decline. But if you look at it, you know what? After 15 games last season, Clive, it yeah. was 15 goals scored, 19 goals against minus four goal difference. This season, 18 goals scored, 22 against minus four goal difference. We're actually negative on points versus the same fixtures last season, subbing relegation teams for relegation or promoted teams for promoted teams. And we're six points better off. I, you know, but unexpected, we're we're flat. So I, I guess if you zoom out and you don't just focus on the wow, this three game run encouraged me or this two game run discouraged me, I I just wish we could see a clearer line arrow pointing up. You know? Yeah, uh, me too, mate. Uh, me too. And and then we we were seeing some zoom out stuff a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? The XG table, for example. Then we did the game state XG table, which is a lot a lot healthier. We also zoomed out in. The calendar year table, which we're not too bad in until maybe recently, that may have that may have changed. So there's lots of different slices of data which can give you the picture that you want. But when it comes down to it, when if you look at it year on year, we're not much better. But what I can say, just to give another view to mitigate that, Elliot, is we have a new team. This team is basically twelve games old since the international break. I'm just guessing at a number. But what concerned me is I think we actually made the step back to some of the old things that we've seen, and I can't get out of my head at the moment. And I will be rewatching this game really closely because can I, I step need, out of that one? Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe I just call. Have a blast. <laughs> maybe I just do it. I just do it on my own, right? At least the but, second half, I can't. I can't my yeah, eyes were I will, all on my head. First I need to rewatch this game properly and really properly because mm. I think I've got it, but I need to. I need to really assess it properly, and, and I'm going to do that. By the way, T- Tim made the point in the chat that Everton's Twitter today has a tunnel cam out, Richarlison memes, the whole thing, and I was thinking, you know who is the biggest Arsenal fan right now? Opposition social media managers for struggling clubs. Because if you're the United Twitter account manager or the Everton Twitter account manager or whatever, you must be dreading your life, and then Arsenal rock up, and suddenly you can post all the stuff you've had scheduled sitting in drafts. Um, so, yeah, good times for social we're like media a, We're like a walking defibrillator, right? We bring people back to life. <laughs> we we literally bowl up, with, and we just say, yeah, you go, we're back. You're back now and have a great season do you know I mean it's, it's, yeah. it's doing my head in yeah tim i mean the, the reason i i think scott's by the numbers column is interesting is it does zoom out a bit on mm. points compared to same fixtures last season and again that's tough because you're comparing promoted teams to promote promoted teams some of them are better some of them are worse mm-hmm. i get that it's not the same teams add players teams get stronger they get weaker we are behind last season now in terms of points uh compared to same fixtures and we're trending to be about level points by round, you start to look at all the metrics, goals, goals conceded, shots, expected goals, expected goals allowed, and they look pretty flat. And so I guess what I would say to you is, you know, what what are the KPIs? I I think this is my thing with Arteta. You know this. I was very much in support of this appointment. At times I've been very disappointed with him. At times I've been more encouraged with him. But I think if you're going to take a risk on an untested manager, then the club has to have a supreme level of discipline to know what their key performance indicators are and really hew to that and be guided by that and say, you know what? We know what we're looking for. We know what we're measuring by. And as long as we're projecting towards that, then we feel good. When we stop feeling like we're projecting towards that, we're in trouble. And I, you know, I wrote a tweet last spring. And, and my Twitter account sucks, and you should block me there. But, uh, you know, I said the problem 
for Arteta right now is that all the positives are notional and all the negatives are concrete. And what I sort of meant is that there's a lot of, we think he could be great and he might be the next Pep and he's trying positional football and here's what I think he's trying to do. But the negatives were very concrete. And I still feel like we're kind of chasing the promise of what we think he could be. But with every game that goes by, we have more evidence of what he actually is. And what he actually is, by the way, is not a dope. I think he's competent. I think that's clear. I think he struggles a bit in man management. I think some of his substitutions in game management are are challenging. And clearly, 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 getting consistent attacking football is a challenge for him. And those things Mm -hmm. now, with the amount of time he's been in the job, feel a little more concrete. I mean, it's crazy to say this. I think he is has the 10th longest tenure of any manager in the Premier League, you know, which just shows you how short-lived these jobs are. I mean, he's, yeah, he's 10th, and he's just, you know, a handful of days behind Potter in 9th and Rodgers in 8th. So it's, you know, these are these are short-term jobs by and large. Yeah. So in, in terms of the longer range, the zoomed-out view, are you starting to develop any kind of clearer sense of what we have? Yeah, um, what you're describing there is basically like faith versus evidence, right? And mm, yeah, in 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 lieu of evidence, we reach out to faith, and that's why, you know, that's why thousands of years ago, when we didn't know how the world got here and things like that, and we we didn't know how all these animals turned up, you know, you turn to faith, but like you start peeling that back as the years and the decades and the centuries go on and you get more and more evidence and more advanced evidence. And then you start to say, "Mm, actually, maybe, um, you know, some of the things we thought like a thousand years ago just aren't relevant anymore. Um, Obviously, this is a much smaller (laughs) kind of um, circuit of time and uh, probably a much less important issue, to be fair. But, But what we're gathering at the moment is evidence right because we didn't have any of that and um and and all of the evidence is actually quite bad isn't it like maybe i'm just focusing on the bad but like i i'd be interested to hear someone kind of say like what they can see in the in the data or something like that 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 like really gives us cause to believe that things are on the up or things are going to change because it doesn't really feel like it and like none of the numbers are coming up and like we all want to believe but it's very very difficult to do so because what we're hanging on to as you say is like well he might be great eventually and you know what he might be like in five years in 10 years in three years in two years but how long do you keep waiting for for that thing because he's you know he's never had a job before so like we don't have these kind of patterns like you know, if like Conte doesn't work after two years, you go, well, something's gone wrong here because what's his big strength? He comes in and like transforms teams instantly um, and then burns out and fucks off. And, you know, you, you, you we haven't got that sense with Arteta um, because he has no history as a manager. And so you're hanging on to these faith-based positions. But as time goes on, like my faith is diminishing because the evidence isn't there is increasing of what it, of what he really is yeah it, exactly exactly and and like the evidence points to us finishing somewhere between 10th and 7th really which is what we've done for the last 2 years and it basically it feels like if we get a bit lucky we could finish 6th or 5th like if things go like like under emery i think that's what happened in emery's first season i think we overall 
it felt worse because we had a real chance of finishing fourth and blew it. But overall, we were probably quite lucky to finish fifth. Like, I think we overperformed a lot of our metrics over 38 games, and it was a bit like, that was fifth, but really nobody could have complained if it was seventh or eighth. And 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 it kind of feels like we're just hoping that that might happen. We're just hoping that, like, we might do enough or or someone else might implode or West Ham might get knackered or, you know, or Conte doesn't work at Spurs. And, you know, we, we're, we're looking for external factors a lot of the time. And, and that tells you that we don't have confidence in the internal factors. And it's, it's just becoming difficult to deduce that this is anything other than like upper mid table fare, which if the wind blows just right, could get us into sixth or fifth on a nice sunny day but it 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 feels like we're in we're in a faith we've been in a faith-based position for a while and obviously by like necessity because there was nothing else there was no evidence you have to kind of go on faith um even if you're a skeptic you're kind of that's all you've got but like now we're accumulating data and evidence it's not pointing it's like i I don't think we're going to get worse per se well what it it feels like this is what we are is let, about eighth. Let me hit you with with some Socratic method. Then here's some Socratic method for you, Tim. Question and answer. What do you, what where do you think the squad talent is in terms of finishing position? Where do you think this squad hmm. should finish roughly? Um, I think it could fin. I, I somewhere between fifth and ninth. And I, where I do think you think Arteta a- will guide the squad to finish? Um, somewhere between fifth and ninth, but probably more the lower end of that. Right. But so what I'm saying is you're basically saying at best, you feel that Arteta will guide the squad to its par result or worse. And I guess my point is if you are listening to this, thinking the squad is a sixth place squad, then surely an average manager should get the squad to roughly sixth, Mm -hmm. a sub, a below average manager probably just below sixth, and a really good manager, hopefully just above that. Now, it's I get it. It's more complicated than that. But, you know, I think at the point that you're saying your manager is probably going to guide you to a finish that reflects at or below the talent of the squad, what you're saying is, yeah, you're, what you're saying is you don't think your manager's elevating the talent. And that's yep. what you're looking for, ideally. And, Paul, I'm going to hit you with the, the podcast title now and a little Socrates, or pardon me, Aristotle, because I know you like that. Aristotle said, quite famously, of course, We are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. At some point, you stop being able to say, I think we are blank. I think we are X if what you repeatedly do is Y. And if what you repeatedly do is trot a team out that cannot score goals and create big chances repeatedly, that finishes seventh, eighth, and eighth, that, you know, takes leads and throws them away, then at some point, even if you really want to be an optimist, really want to look through the weeds and through the trees and through the forest and see something else, we are what we repeatedly do. And there is a there is an ex um an opportunity cost, a big opportunity cost, to relying on what you hope something is in lieu of what something has proven to be. And so I guess I would ask you, Paul, in terms of that assessment that we are what we repeatedly do, at what point are we doing it enough that it becomes conclusive? versus being able to continue to rely on you know other factors and other evidence that you think points in another direction um i don't know and this is the problem for all of us right it's humble of you yeah and yeah. And, and fair mm-hmm. 
Um, it's not now, though. Not for me. <clears throat> and it'd be nuts for the team and where Arsenal's at at the moment. I mean, the logical conclusion is uh, quite a bit longer in this season before we do anything, uh, uh, start uh, organizing the referendums. I mean, people people will do what they do. Oh, there'll always be people who do it day one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. forget what people do. Yeah. Look, I, I'm not telling people what to do. I'm here's what I I think makes sense when you're running a football team and you're running a club. You don't keep running referendums internally. I mean, you have your thoughts, you have your opinions. They formulate over time. Um, I think we look at it at the end of the season. The the big we and see where we're at. I think doing anything before that is is nuts anyway. Um, and I hope that's not what we're really discussing right now. In terms of <clears throat> progress, one of the challenges with Arteta is that he is, um, I would say, uh, taking a sophisticated approach to coaching, to our style of play. <clears throat> it's very much taking the most modern methods and approaches it's positional play it's um the most progressive style of playing depending on your tastes and philosophies in how you play requires high level of skills and capability pep himself says that he needs the best players in the world to play the way he wants to play uh, when asked why he's always spending lots of money on players because he needs really good players to do what he's doing so the, uh, Arteta's taken on the task of uh, playing in a style that's very progressive, that involves building, that involves um, uh, controlling the game, uh, quality, uh, 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 quite a number of passes, quite Close a lot of patience. Just a little further back from the microphone, please. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you're, you're hitting me with good stuff, but it's just it's, usually it's you're telling me I'm a little quiet. But yeah. like, <laughs> it, it's an approach built on quality, um, and there are more direct approaches. There are approaches that are more designed to leverage physicality, athleticism, directness, etc. Well, we have known for some time that our approach based on the manager we picked um is more around positional play it's around structure it's around it'll be great when it's great and in the meantime it's going to feel really inconsistent so we're back to the guessing game to tim's point of what do you do in an absence of evidence um i mean there's some evidence if you take the last 12 months and you look at our performances and results overall, we're probably around sixth in the table, fifth, sixth, seventh, something in that range. It goes up and down a little bit. But you can be guaranteed with a very young team that's all new, that ha is having a lot of changes, trying to play a sophisticated style based around positional play that requires quality and stringing together movements and passes. Until it's good, it's going to look very inconsistent. It's probably going to feel a lot like this. The question is, will we ever be good enough for it to have been worth it? Because you don't want to just get there in the end when you could have got there more directly. So what you're really hoping for is that we get to not just par, but we get beyond par. That a manager can get all of the synergies, all the synchronicity, all the advantages of sophisticated play to do better against opponents than we would otherwise have a right to do. And we won't know that till we get, you know, 
He may, as, as Martin Luther King says, he may not be with us when we get there. Well, he probably needs to be because he'll be the only one who knows how the formula works. So mm. uh, the question is, will, will we all be with each other when we get to the promised land, the land of oh, milk sure and honey? So. And how I long sure. will it take it? I sure hope so. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there, Paul. The only thing I'd, I'd push back on, and it's not even real pushback, it's just that you have elo- elo- eloquently described, elephantly described what I hope is going on, yep. but what I think is still theoretically going on more mm-hmm. than concretely going on. And that that's the only fear, right? I can accept and even explain what I think the best case scenario is of, of where we're going but I think I I would feel better. You, you know, if you're a faith-based person, this is probably an easier project to get on board with. Um, as the only way who, you're going to feel better is if we're consistent. Yeah. But yeah. we're not going to be consistent because it's a young team. We've had, apart from injuries, every team has their injuries. But a team that's built more on directness and athleticism suffers less when you're changing players. So we've got new guys coming in. We've got young players. Um. W- you know, when you play young players, you get mistakes. Well, we're seeing that with, take your pick, Tavares, Ben White, etc., etc. Um, no real excuse for Thomas Party, but even the Thomas Parties of this world can have an off period, an off phase, very long off phase in his case. Um, and so inconsistency is not to be... Uh, is to be expected, and we're seeing that. We'll stru- we more than maybe other teams will struggle when we're inconsistent because that means lower quality, which means we're kind of stuck way too deep on the pitch because yeah. to get up the pitch, we have our way of playing, and and quality and inc- low quality and inconsistency is going to hurt us bad, and we'll look ugly. We're looking ugly. I definitely think one of the other things, I don't want to touch on it today. I think it's more of a January discussion or maybe a a second pod of the week discussion. There's going to be a discussion that's needed too about the squad building side of things because the club deserves so much praise for so many of the bargains and quality buys they've made at the margins of the transfer window. Tavares, Lakanga, Tomiyasu, Ramsdale. That's not really the margins. That's sort of a, a bigger purchase. But when we've splashed cash, especially on like wages, like party... Obama Yang, um, Benjamin White is certainly a, a possibility there. I think some of our bigger purchases have not delivered the consistently high levels we need. Um, so, Clive, I want to hit you with just a, a final question here. You've talked about the washing machine a lot, and I think it, it really is in my mind right now because now we come into a very busy period. The run has to be good. We, we have Man City, I think, January 1st or something, before that, we have what you would theoretically call winnable games, plus West Ham, which looks like a big game. He's got to right the ship. And I worry that now he's almost put himself in the washing machine because he's mixed it up. He's ring, rung the changes when maybe he didn't need to. Now he'll be thinking, system change? Lakanga back? Oba back to center forward? What you know? Has, has he put himself in the washing machine? And what do you think needs to happen for him to get himself back out of it and feel like he's in a safe, stable position again. When you win, it's called good rotation. When you lose, it's what the hell are you doing? You're reaching, right? Yeah. So, and that's the nature of the world that, that we live in. And, and we and we all start to rewrite teams again and think, well, he needs to play, he needs to play. And then we become that sort of fan again. And that's because the results have gone against us. Um, I'm... I'm not sure what he's going to do. Uh, I'm generally not sure what he's going to do. I knew this period was coming from a 
substitute and selection point of view because the games are now compressed. I knew it was coming. It was simpler once a week. And that's always been my thing for the season, actually. I, I don't think we're ready to be fourth or fifth, but our schedule could help us. And that was always my thing. Our schedule could help us, and that will become more apparent next year. But what I am starting to see is repeat issues when decisions have to be made in a compressed way. And the last time I felt like this was around the uh, Europa League semi-final period when there were decisions to be made that I felt were incorrect, under pressure, not not a lot of time to prepare and think about them. I think that's a weakness. I think it's consistent. And you could say, well, Clive, you don't know anything about those decisions and how they were arrived at. But I'm sitting there looking at, you know, Gabriel, for example, didn't play in the biggest games last season and he's our best defender for a mile by a mile and I and a player that was bought by the manager and why was he sat down in the key games there are questions if you want to find them consistently I tried to look forward I tried to look to the horizon and say okay this is a new group there's been some really as you said earlier some really good transfer decisions there's still a bit of legacy around on the numbers that we know are Champions League numbers which we are not in anymore so we still done a lot of work with reducing the wage bill there's more to come with Kalashnik going and Lacazette going, for example, and who knows what's going to happen to Aubameyang and Pepe. So we we still got work to do, but it doesn't excuse our approach walking into Goodison Park last night. It does not excuse it. It doesn't. You know, you've got to be who you are, and we're better than that. You know, and we need to we need to start believing it. So what will he do? Well, I think the players that don't play suddenly become world class. Right, and Sambi Lakonga, who we who got ripped out of Anfield on the fifty second minute and basically that was ten minutes or five minutes too late. Um, I think suddenly we, we want him back real quick, you know, and um Smith Rowe who's been you know, saved our saved our tetter maybe since Boxing Day last year. He has he yeah. can, can barely walk. We want him back real quick, you know, and um and this is the problem. We get Martel, he hasn't played for a long time. Then he plays compressed minutes. We lose him for another two, three weeks, probably, given what reports will be. We need him back real quick. You know, so we as fans now are now lurching. So what the manager, what would the manager do? For me, mate, if I'm you, Mr. Arteta, get back to what was working when we played Leicester and Aston Villa. Get back to that system. Get back to that verve. Get back to that. Because... That is what people will give you a break for if things go wrong. They won't give you a break if if we're not trying to play until we have to play. And that's what we've yep. seen over last week. Well said. I, I think it's fair to say that the, the, the fan base can be appeased. Not that that's why you should do anything, but like they're willing to watch you fail trying with Lakanga and trying with Tavares and Smithrow and Sack. You know what they're not willing they're not willing to watch you fail with Lacazette up front. They're not willing to watch you fail with Granite Shaka, which is why I thought it was time for him to move on just because, you know, ring the, just commit to ringing the changes. But he look, he is lucky because if any game does, I think Arsenal home to Southampton at the weekend screams comfort, screams getting back to comfort. I mean, I know they, are, they can be very pressy, but I don't know they're very good at it. I, I think we can get there. So a win against Southampton at home doesn't fix anything. If anything, it, it maybe continues the narrative of, you know, mid to steal Tim's headline from the instant reaction. This is mid-table football. 
You lose away at a bad Everton, you win at home to a bad Southampton, but it's got to start somewhere. Let's start it there and let's see where we go. We'll have another podcast on Thursday where we can break down more of the issues because that'll be fun. We'll do a Patreon pod tomorrow. And as I said, next week I have the worst Patreon content ever planned. Planned. I'm going to go forward with it because I'm a stubborn son of a you-know-what. Anyway, Tim's on Twitter. Stubberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. I, you know, I, I love what Paul said because, you know, we may not all make it to the land of milk and honey together, but let's, let's hope we do because we all deserve it. If anyone deserves it, it's all of us. We love you. And we will definitely talk to you. My name, by the way, my name is Elliot Smith. Bobby on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We love you and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Southampton. No. Nope.